We're going through the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20 today will be in the Fourth Commandment, verses 8 to 11. Think of where we've gone the last three weeks. God said, you shall have no other God beside me. God said that we should not commit idolatry. God said that we should not take his names. We learned that there are 300 of them. We should not take his name in vain matters. And today we're going to learn to keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath, holy. So let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. We thank you for what we can learn from it. We ask, Father, that our lives would be impacted by biblical truth, flawless, perfect, inerrant truth. We ask, Lord, that we might know more about you, what to think, how to act, how to live. We're thankful for the Ten Commandments that you gave to Moses some 1,450 years before Christ. And yet they are as contemporary today as ever. Speak to us through them, we ask. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I want to begin by actually reading the text to us. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath, that's the Hebrew word sabbat. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, kadosh is holy. It means to be set apart, to be different. It's the opposite of the Hebrew hall, which is mundane. We have six hall days, mundane days, and one kadosh day, a day set apart, a day that is holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, a Sabbat to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it kadosh. He made it holy. You and I will start with the fourth commandment and perhaps out of the 10 commandments, the fourth has had the most pushback, the most debate in both Judaism and in the history of the church. Many people readily say, yeah, those nine, I get those, but this fourth commandment the 10th one, uh, the nine will go with this one. I'm not sure. It kind of sounds so Old Testament and, and I'm a New Testament saint. A dangerous phrase to use. Well, let's consider how this phrase, keep the Sabbath holy, has been understood in the history of Judaism and the church. You think of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were lay leaders. The professionals were scribes. The worship pastors were Levites. They oversaw and administered the organization of the temple and the scribes would 
transcribe the word of God and would sometimes preach. But the Pharisees were lay leaders. They were self-appointed. They were Sabbath police. They thought it was their job to make sure you and I kept the Sabbath and kept it holy. Therefore, they created what we call the traditions. You saw a fiddler on the roof. The traditions, well, they're the oral law. They're real. They were passed down from generation to generation to generation. They were passed down orally. But thankfully, we get to know exactly what these traditions are because of Rabbi Judah Hanasi, he redacted them. That means he wrote them down in 200 AD. So we actually have them. They're put together in a compendium called the Mishnah. Now, if I were to have brought the 10 volumes of the Mishnah up here today, it would be stacked upwards about this high. Those are the fence around the law of God because God's kind of, well, he's questionable. He only has 613 laws. So they created a bunch of additional laws that were a fence around God's law, the oral traditions written in the Mishnah. And I'm not joking, it would be about that high. Now, if I added to that the Gemara, that's the commentary the rabbis wrote so that we understood there are 10 volumes of the Mishnah, we would be up to here. And that would be together called the Talmud. The Mishnah plus the Gemara, the fence plus the commentary, together is the Talmud. And it caused all sorts of problems. Jesus had a lot of problems with the Pharisees, right? Not because he broke the Sabbath laws, but because he broke the Mishnah laws. And he ignored the Gemara, the Testament, the commentary. So we have Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 coming across a man with a shriveled hand. And he heals the man on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath police are saying, you got to be kidding me. The guy's been crippled for years. What's one more day? And Jesus is thinking to himself, the man's been crippled for years we got to do something today. And in John 5, he comes across a man who hasn't walked in 38 years and he heals him on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the Sabbath police are saying, come on, 38 years, what's one more day? And Jesus is thinking, 38 years, we got to do it today. And then in Matthew chapter 12, the disciples they skipped breakfast, the most important meal of the day. Didn't have their bowl of Wheaties, so they're walking through a field and they're harvesting a little grain and they're, they're popping in their mouth. And the Pharisees are horrified because this is work. And this caused all sorts of problems between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus didn't violate scripture. He violated the Mishnah. He violated Gemara. He violated the Talmud. Man-made rules, man-made regulations, extra-biblical legalism. Now, I'm not going to make fun of these rules. When I, when I tell you that, I mean it. I want to tell you what some of the rules are, and, and you're probably going to laugh, and, and that's all right. 
but I'm not making fun of them. I just want you to get a feel for what this is like. So there were many rabbis who would argue, if you have a chicken that lays an egg on the Sabbat, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, has your chicken worked? And if your chicken has worked, can a kosher home eat the egg that was laid on Sabbat? Many rabbis decided no. So what are you to do with the egg? It's valuable. You sell it to a Gentile, they're going to hell anyway. And they're not kosher. So you can make some money, but you don't eat the egg. That's a real example. Or what happens if a wall caves in and somebody is in the debris? The rabbis, very sincerely, they're trying to figure out what constitutes work, what violates the Sabbath and makes it unholy. And so the wall caves in, what do you do? You're allowed to make sure the person is breathing. If it's fatal injuries, by all means, you take care of the individual. But if it's not fatal, you can leave the individual until Sabbat is over and then remove the rest of the debris. Again, this was not meant to be inhumane. This was not meant to devalue those made in the Imago Dei in the image of God. This was a sincere, I think misplaced, attempt to figure out what is kadosh, what is holy, and what is mundane. And they're trying to figure this whole thing out. One that's very contemporary is Arav, spelled U-R-U-V, pronounced Arav. This is alive and well in the United States. If you go to communities with a large Hasidic, very Orthodox Jewish population, Los Angeles or Chicago or Washington, D.C. or New York, Erev becomes a very big deal. This is two aspects. How far can you walk on the Sabbath before it becomes work? And what can you carry on the Sabbath before it becomes work? The answer actually is very clear. It's 1,000 yards. If you walk beyond 1,000 yards on the Sabbath, you have worked. If you carry your child or your cane or you carry your keys more than 1,000 yards, it becomes work. So what is Erev? Erev is kind of the way to walk beyond 1,000 yards without having to count it. So if you go to a Hasidic population in the United States or in Jerusalem, and you look at the light poles, at the very top you might see wires. And they're the whole length of a street, a Hasidic street. And if you have a wire for the whole length, you need to count the whole street only as 100 yards. It might be 1,000 yards long, but with this Erov wire, you have to count it only as 100, and in that way, you can actually go beyond your 1,000 yards without violating the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Talmud as a home. In a Haradi community, there are 700,000 Haradi. Uh, it's a word that means those who tremble. 
You may have seen them at the Western Wall. They're in the black suits and the fedora hats and, and they tremble. That's the hard D. There's 700,000 of them. They're all on social security because in 1947, when Israel was formed, 47, 48, they wanted people to tremble before the Lord. So the Haredi numbered about 10,000. They put them on social security. Now they number about 700,000 and they're still on social security. And you can imagine the tension in Israel against the Haredi uh, because their job is to tremble before the Lord. Well, the Haredi, I'm the messenger. I am not the message. The Haredi would say, ladies, on the Sabbath, you may not look in a mirror because you may see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. And that is harvesting. Other examples, these are real. These are very sincere, real examples. If you have a bowl of fruit and you have fresh fruit and some of it is uh, not fresh, it is no longer ripe and you pull it out, that would be some kind of sifting or winnowing. You can't cut your nails or your hair because that's some form of sheaving. You, you can't weave your hair. You can't put it in some kind of bob because that's weaving. Uh, if you're a smoker, you can't smoke on the sabbat because that's actually lighting a fire. It works better than Nicoderm CQ. Uh, these are sincere rules. And again, they sound very far-fetched to us, but the intent is not to be like so out of touch. The intent is not to giggle over silliness. The intent is their sincere desire. What does it mean to work or not work on this holy day, this kadosh? And this caused, again, a lot of friction between Jesus, who really understood kadosh as a relationship with the living God that is even more vibrant on the seventh day than the other six, the mundane days. That's how he understood it. And they understood it as a bunch of regulations to keep you and I from violating the oral traditions, the oral laws. But it's not just a Jewish issue. There's a lot of debate among certain Christian groups on what constitutes the Sabbath. Now, we would say that the Sabbat is just a day. It's kind of the day of corporate worship. More often than not, it's Sunday. But if you have a Saturday night service, whatever, it doesn't matter. We would say that in John 20 and Acts 20, the early church went from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. The Sabbat very still practiced in Israel. And we just reallocated it to Sunday because many Roman slaves had that day off and they could go to corporate worship, a real spiritual reason. It was so you could actually go to worship. It's kind of why we shifted the day. But that Sabbat doesn't mean a particular day. And it doesn't. Sabbat is the Hebrew word for rest. Sabbat means a day that we cease from the Hull, the mundane that we do for six days, 
We cease from those activities on the seventh day to focus on God, to praise God individually, corporately, and whatever activities we do that day, we still remember God. And it's a holy day. It's a kadosh day. Now, how can I prove that's the meaning of Sabbat rest rather than Saturday or Sunday? If you took the time, you can do it later on today. Go to Leviticus chapter 23. Now half of you are going to do it anyway, so go ahead, enjoy yourself. But in Leviticus chapter 23, you discover that on the seventh month, that's the month of Tishri, in the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, that's a Sabbat. Well, the calendar changes. Sometimes that's a Saturday. Sometimes that's a Sunday. Sometimes that's a Monday. It kind of rotates depending on the year, right? But this is even more telling. On the first day of the seventh month, you have a Sabbat. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you have a Sabbat. Now, I have a PhD mathematician. One, two, three, four, five rows in. Is it possible, dividing by seven, you can get from one to 10? Thank you, Tony. I had him sit there for every service today. Actually, I just spotted him. You can't have a division of seven between the first and the 10th, yet both of them are called the Sabbat. Obviously, Sabbat doesn't mean Saturday. Obviously, it doesn't mean Sunday. It means a day of rest. I think of an interview by Bill Gates. Bill Gates, a long time back, was asked, why he's not a Christ follower. In the interview, he actually didn't answer the question. But what he did say is this. It's not a good allocation of time resources to set aside a day each week to get to know some God. In other words, he could do better with his time. That's what Bill Gates is saying. Now we might expect that of someone who is not a Christ follower. But the truth is sometimes we live that ourselves, that we could do better with our time than to allocate a certain time to worship God individually, corporately, to cease from work. Some people watch online because they're concerned about their health. That's great. Some people watch online because they don't have transportation. I'm so thankful they're doing it. Some people watch online because they're out of the area and they want to catch the service. I am so grateful. But if we watch online because our priority is not worship, but just to kind of fit it in, so that we can get somewhere else, which is the priority. I think we've misunderstood the fourth commandment, which is to remember the Sabbath day. Let me read it again. Verses eight to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbat, 
and made it holy. Why do we have the Sabbath to rest from six mundane whole days to keep one holy, kadosh, which means we have an elevated time of personal reflection on the Lord, an elevated time of corporate worship with the Lord. And even as we do other activities in the day, we still reflect on God. How important is the Sabbath? Remember, a lot of people are in on like nine of the 10, but this 10th one, which happens to be the fourth one, not so much. How important is the Sabbath? It's tied to creation. That's a trump card in scripture. It happens a handful of times when the biblical author ties something to creation. What he's saying is this. From the very beginning until Jesus returns, what I'm about to say is still in effect. And so you go to Ephesians chapter 5 which talks about a marriage relationship between a husband and wife. And to the best of our ability, we work on that marriage, we invest in that marriage, we stay in that marriage. Because marriage is to be like the relationship of Christ and his church. And what does Paul do to make sure we understand it? He ties it back to creation. And when he ties it back to creation, he's saying, Jeff, pay attention. This is a big deal. Well, here we get a double dose of it. Moses not only ties it back to creation, but he says, God the Father modeled this for us. Six days he created the heavens and the earth. Six days he created the fish of the sea and the animals of the land. He created Adam, Adam. And Eve. And then God rested, not because God needs rest, but as a model for us. And so when we take this as insignificant, not only does it have the tie to creation, but as the model of creation in which God models this for us. One might think of it this way God creates us. God sustains us. If we know Jesus Christ as Savior, God redeems us. God owns the weak. He owns us. And God says for six days, by all means work. Work is not the result of the fall. Work predates the fall. Genesis 2.15. Adam was placed in the garden to work it. What the fall did, Genesis 3, is make work a little bit less exciting and a little more difficult. But God says, by all means, work for six days, but one day is not to be mundane, whole. It is to be kadosh, it is to be holy, because I am holy, I've modeled it for you, I've tied it back to creation. This is a big deal to God. Let me illustrate it this way. I stole this from Dr. Rayburn, but he wouldn't recognize it because I've doctored it up. But let's suppose you and I are on Lakeshore Drive, Michigan Avenue. We're down in Chicago. We're going to the Field Museum. I love the Field Museum. Haven't been there in a while. Wonderful place. And you remember there's a lot of concrete out before you get to the Field Museum. And you're walking by and 
And there's a guy on my right and he's down on his fortune. Things have not gone well. And he looks at me and says, uh, can you help me out? And I reach into my pocket and I think, oh, I got a $5 bill and two ones. I get seven bucks. I need $1 to get on the bus to get back to where my car is so I can get home. But you know what? I was saving this for a Coke, a little snack, but this guy's down on his luck. And so I say, hey, buddy, Jesus loves you. And he takes the six and he reaches out and grabs the seven and he runs away. How do you feel if that happens to you? Underappreciated, uncared for? God says, I own the weak. I own you. I gave you six days to work and do all these things. And, and one day, I want you to keep as kadosh holy. And sometimes I take the six and then I, I grab the seven and I start running. Because I think it's mine. Our language reflects this. Three generations ago, if you talk to people about Sunday, they would call it what? The Holy Sabbath. Two generations ago, if you talk to people about Sunday, they would call it what? The Sabbath. A generation ago, if you talk to them about Sunday, they'd call it what? Sunday. Now, if you talk to people about Sunday, what do they call it? The weekend. Do you see the transgression? The steps from Holy Sabbath to Sabbath to Sunday to the weekend. God doesn't call it another holiday. He calls it a holy day, a kadosh day. He wants to be preeminent in that day. And that means to cease from normal work. It means to spend some time reflecting on who God is and worshiping him and corporately gathering for worship. That's what it means. That's the first thing I want to walk away with. The second thing is this idea of rest. What does rest mean? Again, the Pharisees give us 39 categories and a tractate, not 39 rules, 39 categories called Shabbat to tell me how to rest. I don't think I need that. That's a little overcooked. That's a little beyond scripture. Rest just means that I find some time away from my normal activities to just kind of decompress to spend time, especially with the Lord, to gather with other believers. That's what rest means. Now, what if you say to yourself or you say to me, well, that's fine, but I got to work on Sundays. What about me? Well, I'm in the same boat. Um, when I get to noon today, I'll have worked eight hours already. And I might do something more later on or maybe not. So my Sabbat, if this really were my Sabbat, is, is a disaster, right? Uh, in three hours, I will preach four times and teach Sunday school. I will do five lessons in three hours, and I will not have sat through a single worship service yet. That's not a very good Sabbat. So obviously, I don't consider this my Sabbat. 
what about a nurse or a PA or a doctor or a first responder or many other jobs that require one to work on Sunday? That may not be one's sabbat. This is a time when we rest from normal activity, work activity. We spend some time individually praising God and we find some time for corporate worship. Leviticus 23.3, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So it's just a day to focus on the Lord. What about cutting one's lawn? That has been a discussion point in my extended family at some point. And I cut my lawn yesterday, just in case you're wondering. But the truth is, I often cut my lawn on Sunday. Why? Because I'm not a professional lawn cutter. I don't make a living from it. I actually find it relaxing. Yesterday, I listened to music and a couple of praise and worship songs came on and I was singing really loud. And when they got done, I thought, oh, well, I'm glad my daughter's on one side. She already knows I'm crazy. But I don't know what the sheriff on the other side thought. He probably now knows I'm crazy. And sometimes I pray, I didn't yesterday, but sometimes I pray when I cut the lawn. But it's not work for me. It's relaxing. What about going to the ski hill or the soccer game? Or what about going to the lake? Well, if we spend time decompressing from our normal work, if we spend time reflecting on who God is, and we have a corporate worship element, do you think God would be upset if we're out in nature? Later on, I'm going to go golfing. It's probably counseling for the three I'm going with. But if, if I talk about the Lord and I go out there and I break a couple clubs over my knee, use a few four-letter choice words and throw a club or two in the lake because that's where my ball is, I might as well send the club there too, then probably that's not acceptable. So here is the rub. We need a time to decompress. We need a time to focus on the Lord. We need a time for corporate worship. And we've got to avoid two poles. The first pole is legalism, which writes 39 categories of work and rest. And we become the police for others and ourselves. And we forget the purpose. I need to get to know God. I need to worship God. That's the legalistic pole, and if that's where you are, remember, that's not why we have the Sabbath. The other pole is the one that turns the day into another holiday, and time with the Lord is okay if I can fit it in. But I got agenda. I got things I want to do. The call is to rest our bodies, and it's big enough that God told them to rest the land. You remember that? 
Six years, plant your crops. The seventh year, keep it fallow. And for 490 years, Israel ignored God. That would be like 70 skips. And God sent them into captivity for how many years? 70 years. He took them back. It's a big deal. So, I don't want the poll where I'm a legalist. But I don't want the poll that ignores the Sabbath and treats it as a holiday. I got to decompress. I got to spend time with the Lord. I got to spend corporate time with other believers with the Lord. And I can be out about later on or earlier and enjoy God in nature. It doesn't mean that we just can't do anything. Can a pastor play risk on the Sabbath? I mean, every good pastor wants to take over the world. Or do I have to play Bible trivia because it's the Sabbath? No, I can play risk. If it helps me to decompress and I've spent the time in corporate and personal worship. It's not a holiday. It's a holy day. It's kadosh. It's holy to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for the Ten Commandments. It reminds me again how I ought to live. For some of us, uh, for some here today, they already have this commandment so well down. Allow it to be in a state of encouragement for them. For the others of us, maybe we've been reminded of what we've been lax. Allow us to confess, agree with you, and repent, turn from what we've done back to you. For yet others, maybe it's all new information and allow us to process it well, that we might live in a manner that is honoring to you. Allow us to keep your Sabbath, the rest, well as a holy day kadosh unto you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.